same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. to mention again that I have been using this podcast as a form for documenting the time during quarantine pandemic. In addition to sharing other Chinese adoptee stories, I would like to echo what I have heard on many podcasts in regards to the racial injustice that has been going on for a long time. They say silence is not going to help. I've heard that silence is a form of violence or silence is a form of consent. And so I would like to also share that you should use your words and take action. You can go ahead and donate to Black Lives Matter or any affiliate organization that's reputable. I am unsure if this time will honestly be remembered as it should be. Bringing that to the podcast for today, I am talking with Sydney. She's from New York. She actually grew up in New York and currently lives there as well. We met through the Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits group. And when we connected and were able to talk one-on-one, we actually really found another common area of experience that we have both been going through. And side note, she's actually friends with a guy that I've mentioned on here that I have barely talked to. And oh. <laughs> so hi, Sydney. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Sorry. It's a fun start. Yes. I remember, actually, I think we started bonding because I started talking about him. And then you're like, oh, I know. We him. did because I was mutual friends and you mentioned him and you mentioned how you wanted to have him on the podcast. And yeah, that's how our conversation started, mm-hmm. uh, started initially, I think. And you know him in real life? I do not. I do know him in real life. I do know him. We are pretty good friends, actually. So, yes. So, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. This is my first experience doing a podcast, so I am also a little bit nervous myself. But I'm ready to uh, share my experience and my knowledge with whoever is out there to listen. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, I always start off. Tell me more about your story, your adoption. Okay, so I was um, nine months old when I was adopted from a city in China called Tungling in the Anhui province of the People's Republic of China by two white parents. Um, my mom's name is Stephanie and my dad's name is David. Um, and they're also both on the older side because they adopted me sort of at a later age in their, in their mid-40s. And I've actually uh, grown up in Brooklyn my entire life. And I have a younger sister named Tally who was also adopted from China at eight months, but her and I are not biologically related. So it's me, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And we basically lived in the same house in Brooklyn for about 20 years or more, something like that. So, yeah, so that's that's basically the little bit of a background on my adoption story. And I was also adopted through um, the adoption agency based in New York City called Spence Chapin. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of Chinese adoptees from the city went through this adoption agency. And in addition to that, I also was adopted along with a group of other baby girls who were adopted. So my parents went with a group of parents and we they all adopted from like the same orphanage. So I have other adoptees that I'm close to, but I'm, I'm not as close to them as I, as I used to be when I was younger. So hopefully I can oh, rekindle okay. those relationships. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine there's a, there might be a larger group of adoptee community 
in general in New York, but I don't know if the Chinese adoptee specifically has a big group following. Yeah, we have a pretty big following, I would say, but it's more so like following. <laughs> Interesting word. I think we're a pretty expansive and diverse group. Um, I definitely think that as a an adoptee growing up in the city, I was exposed to a lot of other adoptees,、um, whether that be through my adoption group, programs that I did, or in school. I also met a couple of、uh, Chinese adoptees in upstate New York, where I went and I got my bachelor's in psychology in New Paltz. They didn't really view adoption, international adoption, in the same way as me. So we had differing views on that. I felt like I was at a different place in terms of like where I, how I viewed myself and how I viewed my adoption experience and how I like to share it with other people. So、mm, I guess you're right. Following is a funny word. Maybe community. It's a bigger community. Community. A following makes it sound like a cult. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a cult. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, imagine. <sighs> we'll let the listeners determine that one <laughs> for themselves. Oh my god, we we could both agree though that it's not it's not it's 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 interesting because like I feel like when people talk about adoption, even adoptees themselves, sometimes we we use words and terminology that don't necessarily. Describe our experience in the most optimal way, but、mm-hmm. like because we are members of that community, we have the responsibility and the ability to like really express how we want to be called and like、right. how we want to talk about things amongst ourselves. You know what I mean? Like,、uh, like versus people who aren't adopted. You know? Right. The right vocabulary, I guess. Exactly the right vocabulary and how we get that out there for people who are trying to learn more about the community and who you know. Just、yes. spreading exposure, you know. Oh yeah, there there are times I've already have slipped up or used terminology that sounds kind of insensitive to、right. on this podcast. Not intentionally, it just happens. So、uh-huh. I, I don't really hide it. I let it. Me、be. too. I Me just too. Let it be. It's gonna be what it is. <laughs> No, yeah, like I feel like the whole point of any community is to be able to grow, learn, and expand within the community. So it's like you know, you want. There's a lot of different ways to do that. We can't be too hard on each other, but we also do have, as I said, feel like the responsibility to let people who aren't adopted, who are external to our community, to let them know like how we want to be seen and how we want to be respected. You know,、mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm totally with you on that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so you got your bachelor's in psychology, and then I know you continued on to your master's, which you just finished. Did I just did just finish it? More than a month ago now, when this comes out. Yeah, basically, yeah, I finished it June, like really early June is when my、early、degree、June. was finally conferred. I'm very happy about that. It was a lot of work, so I'm happy to be finished and starting work soon. Can you actually share more about your master's or thesis, and actually how that relates to your work or what you're trying to do for work as well? My so I guess I'll first start off by talking about why I went to social work school. I think my identity as an adoptee, which there's another question that you posed, how how I was aware of my adoption when I was aware, but I've always been aware that I was adopted.、Mm-hmm. I was always been aware of myself. I've been a very self-aware person. My identity as a person of color, as an Asian person of color, situated in this sort of Eurocentric world, has pushed me to discover my identity and expand on like how I feel about myself and learn new things about myself because I often. Feel very displaced within society because of what we share, me and you, about being adopted, being people of color, and then how that sometimes is people don't understand that, right? For me, in graduate school,、um, that was the main push. You know, I wanted to eventually work in adoption and foster care services. Then when I entered school, I sort of took, I sort of gained a new approach to what it means to be 
a person of color just in general and what it means to be like I worked I did internships in the child welfare system and foster care and stuff so I really gained a lot of experience and insight into how those elements are related to adoption how this element of self-identity and abandonment and trust in yourself and independence and just being confident in your identity how important that was for all of us you know what I mean I worked with a lot of kids and that was a really awesome experience for me because I saw a lot of what I had struggled with as a young person in them as well. Um, And I think also, even though I was working with people that weren't adopted like me, as I said before, I saw very similar behavioral patterns and fears and, you know, the way that people's fears sort of like manifested Mm -hmm. into their behavior, like with the the clients that I worked with. And so I felt a sense of community even with them. When it came to doing my master's thesis, I knew from the very beginning that they wanted to do it on adoption. I knew that I wanted my master's thesis to talk about something that was important to me, that was important to my identity and how I interpret my identity and share it with the world. So I ended up doing my master's thesis on Chinese adoptees specifically. I was originally going to focus on international, transracial international adoptees, and there's some information that I that I put there in that, but I wanted to focus on our experience, you know right. what I mean? Like, I wanted to focus on the experience of a Chinese adoptee because our experiences are so unique, historical contexts of where we're from, and also, like, how the adoption process went down and played out. So the title of my master's thesis is Chinese Adoptees' Experience of Abandonment and Social Culturalization on Their Self-Identity and Self-Development. So basically what I did was I talked about the historical context of the one-child policy and sort of how that impacted women like Chinese mothers, motivated them or pushed them to feel compelled to give up their children. And also the I, I talked about how like, you know, in China, the male... The, the lineage runs through the male side of the family. They have the role of taking care of the grandparents and, and being sort of like that representative for the family. Very, very traditional, I feel like, gender roles. I don't necessarily conform to, nor has my adopted family, um, what my family now conform to either. Yeah, so I, I talk about that. I talk about the importance of the adoptee narrative. Um, I also talk about the adoptee's experience in the orphanage and how that actually relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is this pyramidal theory by this, um, this psychologist named Maslow. And basically what he says is that there's different levels of requirements for what we need as humans in order to survive. So it's a pyramid theory, and on top of the pyramid is this idea of self-actualization and this idea of being able to come to like uh grow into who we really are as people and not need or like seek validation from outside sources and really be able mm-hmm. to be so in tune with ourselves that we don't need any other distract like we don't get distracted by things mm-hmm. but at the base of that is hunger love and belonging needs and i think for adoptees chinese adoptees that's where we fit in mm-hmm. like if you think about it like when we were in the orphanage most of these orphanages which i also provide some historical context on this were underfunded you know, people weren't sure exactly what went on in the orphanage. And so therefore, the quality of caretaking among the babies themselves was not up to par. Like it wasn't as good as other, I would say, countries that have international adoption, where international adoption was didn't have such a convoluted, like sort of clandestine view on it in view towards it, you know? So I talked about basically how if we are in this orphanage in you know, if we are in an orphanage with multiple babies with us and we have multiple caretakers, it's so hard to form that primary attachment bond. Mm-hmm. The primary attachment bond is inc- is like 
for in my mind, it's like the most important thing because when you're out there in a wor- in the world and you're a baby, the biggest thing, the most important need that you have is not only to obviously you need to be satiated hung- hunger wise, you need to have food and shelter, but you need to feel loved and you need to feel like there's somebody looking. You're looking at somebody that can mirror back what you're feeling, that can mirror back empathy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, as humans, empathy is an incredibly important part of human nature and who we are, right? I talked about that. And then I also talked about this um, theory by this psychologist named Baden, and it's called the social culturalization theory. And it basically has to do with this idea that adoptees... Uh, transracial adoptees, we go through different stages of wanting to explore our country of origin, Mm. you know, country of origin and how, and in respect to how it relates to us. So I basically, the argument that I had in my master's thesis was that, you know, we could get as, as Chinese international adoptees, we could get to a point where we want to be super immersed in Chinese culture. We want to go to Chinatown. We want to make Chinese friends. We want to take Chinese language classes and do things to really make us feel connected to our culture. But the thing about that is that in that within that theory, the element of being around Chinese adoptees, Chinese individuals who are also adoptees is kind of excluded and it's mm-hmm. not talked about enough. And so my argument was basically saying that in addition to those steps, in addition to reculture, uh, to um, reculturation and getting acquaint- reacquainted with one's birth culture, it's incredibly important that us as Chinese adoptees are go through that journey with other Chinese adoptees too. Mm, yes. Because there's a sense of community and familiarity and camaraderie that I think you would not feel if you just decided to make, for example, and this example that I'm giving now is like, it probably doesn't go down exactly like this, but like if you were to just make, for example, Chinese friends and, you know, because right. even, I, I don't know if you feel this way, if you've ever felt this way about yourself, but within the Chinese community, I don't even necessarily feel super accepted in that community. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel sort of like an outsider. Like, I... Because people will make jokes about how I'm white because I was raised in a white family. And, you know, it makes me feel alienated from my Chinese culture. And even when I went to school with a lot of Chinese people, the demographic of my school was primarily Russian and Chinese. I I still felt excluded then, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I just have never really felt like a part of the Chinese community. I've never really felt confident enough or comfortable enough to own that side of myself, you know, and it's still something that I'm still working on right now and trying to, um, trying to really explore with due time, if that makes sense. Um, but I hope that, yeah, so that's, I don't want to go on for too long about that, but that's essentially what my master's thesis was about and sort of what I was arguing in the paper. So yeah, uh, hopefully, um, I'll consent it to you so you can read it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would want to read that. That's interesting. It's long, but yeah. It seems you touch on a couple of very strong points about connecting with other Chinese adoptees, essentially, to understand more about yourself, and then the basic needs too, is what I understood as like a summary. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that's of. that's definitely that's definitely what I have been doing, and um, I think that with like the page, with the subtle Asian adoptee page, you know, that was a completely new thing for me too, because mm-hmm. while I had done programs outside programs and have my own adoption group that, um, as I said before, my parents went with their parents to adopt us all from the same orphanage, I felt like I hadn't had that level mm-hmm. of exposure to like oh, yeah. all adoptees. And I feel like on East Asian adoptees, I feel like on the page, there's a huge community of Chinese adoptees. Oh, yes. 
So that in and of itself was kind of shocking to me. And like looking at the posts that people would write and talking about and and just like just the the conversations and the discussions that would sort of unfold from the posts was very interesting to me. And I found that when I first joined the page, I was super, super interested in sharing my input and these things. And then I think as time went on, became a little bit overwhelming because so many people joined. And then there, you know, there were all all, all different types of posts that, that were not necessarily centered on you know, sort of adoption related issues within the Chinese adoptee community. So I sort of drifted away, but I would like to eventually become more invested in it. I just think I have a lot going on right now, as you know, we've <laughs> talked about as this we for a long time. You understand completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um with that. But yes, that is to answer your question, that is basically what I was talking about in my master's mm-hmm. thesis. Well, you have so much of that knowledge and that study as a focus too, and I think this is kind of like a segue into yeah, yeah, of course. The next part of it because we we covered most of the the interest in adoption and then your thesis too because it does connect as well. And I also have found that a lot of people their thesis projects or university projects thesis projects focuses on adoption, which I didn't realize a lot of people do that. Yeah, it could be just. Easy. I think it's a huge. I think it's such a huge part of who I am as a person and who we are. And I don't want to speak for your experience, but I think just as an international adoptee and this whole idea of displacement and just feeling sort of like alone and and not having anybody to really mirror you physically um, in your immediate environment. Mm. I think that's very, it's a very scary experience to go through. And I think it's memorable. And I think it's something that by engaging in these academic projects, it's sort of you're, you're bringing a touch of human to it you know what I mean you're bringing a touch you're bringing your experience in it into it which makes these projects less which dehum, which humanizes these product uh, projects more you know mm-hmm. instead of doing it off like one topic you're doing it off of something that like really means something to you so right. I think that um yeah I think it's you important so yeah I feel like there's a sense with listeners that to be on the podcast to talk on here it's all positive mm-hmm experiences and emotions which Mm. I sort of am gearing more towards it's not the case it's not the case that adoption is always going to be positive it's good to highlight the positive too but there are also some not so great positive things as with everybody in life is going to experience here Mm -hmm. in this forum as Chinese adoptees we can highlight more of the negative too let's take a break Getting back to the main question, I know when we connected actually one-on-one, it was just the timing I think was very interesting because I had actually just gone through, it'll be two months by the time this this releases, but I had just right. gone through a really big moment, pivotal moment in self-growth. Right. And then when we talked one-on-one, you were actually also going through it and you still are, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. But... I don't know if you want to share a little bit more insight on how your self-growth or how you're feeling now about everything going on. Right. No, I think that's, I think, yeah, I think that's one reason why you and I bonded so much on, like, during that period of time when we first reconnected, we connected and did sort of the one-on-one because I kind of relate to how you're feeling. And for me, it's right, right now I'm in, I'm in a place in my life where I, you know, 
I'm trying to advance my career. I'm trying to be more independent. I'm trying to just grow myself as a person. And I, I don't mind sharing this with the viewers. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty open book. But as as I as you know, you know, I was in a pretty toxic relationship that really mm-hmm. took a lot out of me and really actually reminded me. <laughs> to be honest, it made salient how deep my wounds of adoption have sort of inflicted on me themselves Mm -hmm. on me um and this idea of feeling emotionally dependent on other people and feeling emotionally dependent on validation from others in order in order to sort of like fill this void that i have that i feel that uh occurred because of my birth parents because they you know that whole aspect of abandonment and then leaving me and stuff which you know we've gone through as as chinese adoptees and so right now i i do feel as well that this is a pivotal point in my life because I'm taking these milestones of moving out of my parents' house because I can't live with them anymore because it's too much and I need my independence and, you know, very similar stuff to how, how it went down with you. Not exactly, obviously, but it's a very stressful time because I'm trying to I'm trying to actualize my identity as a grown woman. But also, you know, I still want to remain, I'm still trying to be in touch with my identity as an adoptee and expand on that too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how does it feel to not only be living in my family home now, but living on my own and, you know, not even having the the, familiar resemblance of my white parents, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I feel like there are all these really super complex layers to it that I'm still trying to figure out. I think being in, you know, your early 20s and balancing all of these, like, life changes is difficult. And then on top of that, you know, when you're dealing, when you've dealt with mental health issues, I, I deal with mental health issues and still currently deal with them. I think there's just so many different, like, compounding factors that make it so difficult to continue to push forward. But then somehow you kind of find that power in yourself and, and you, mm-hmm. by like, by using your support network and, like, by reaching out to the people you know care and love you, you know what I mean? And so right now I'm, I'm it's really a test of my strength. You know, it's really a test of my strength of how am I going to, how am I really going to see myself? How do I want myself to be viewed within society? How does the 24-year-old Sydney versus the 21-year-old Sydney going to make her mark on the world and going to show people what I can bring to the table and who I am? And a huge part of that for me is my adoption. I, it's not something that I'm ever quiet about. Like when people ask questions, sometimes I'll I'll, I'll be introducing myself to people and I'll just introduce myself in general. I'll, I'll just mention that I'm adopted without, you know, them even asking me the question because it's like it's something about my identity that I'm proud of, you know? It's not something that I'm ever ashamed of and it's not something that I ever feel negatively about i mean i know you mentioned before this idea of how adoption is not fully positive like there are some negative aspects to it and yeah of course a hundred percent like <laughs> very much true and like i definitely feel like my relationships you know like like why this previous really toxic relationship i was in was related to adoption and how i just didn't believe in myself enough and didn't think that i was wanted so i accepted the love that i thought i deserved yeah, just just relationships in general in my life, how I've been able to trust people or lack thereof, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's very it's very complicated. Mm. My main goal for myself at this point is to push forward and, and achieve all the things I want to achieve and to prove to myself and not to anybody else 
like not even like not not to my not to my birth parents either i mean i want to prove it to them in a small way and my parents but like to myself first and foremost that i can be successful and i can live the life that i want to live because i think for the longest time my fear of not being liked by other people and my fear of not fitting in got in the way of me going for things that i wanted to go for and for me like actualize like reaching a point of like self-actualization and confidence and in who I was as a person. And I think a huge part of that, as I said before, is the support system. And I'm really, really, really grateful to be able to say that my best friend of nine years, who I actually consider to be like my sister, is also adopted from China as well. And we met each other in high school. And, you know, going through my teenage years and my adolescence into my adulthood with her by my side knowing that she feels what me and you have felt, you know, feeling like an outsider, not fully being in touch with their Chinese identity, feeling kind of like an imposter, you know, knowing that I could go through that with her was helped me so much because when her and I first met, she wasn't even at where I was at with her adoption identity. Mm. Like I would bring up adoption. She'd be like, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't make a difference. I never really thought about it. And by the time we were, by the time we were, for juniors in high school, all that changed. Mm. You know, she opened up and like we were wow. able to really have like discussions about it. And like I was able to see that, like, okay, you know what? Like, we are really all going through this as we Chinese are. adoptees. Like, this is a real freaking struggle. Like, this is a real experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And this, this podcast, I know for me, is a way to understand more about my adoption and then other people's adoption to Chinese yeah. adoptees specifically, of course. Yeah, yeah. But one great piece of advice I had gotten from my old roommate, who was a random person originally, but has become a good friend. He said that, and I think this sort of does connect to what you were saying too, is that each person, we individually are responsible for the consequences or results of any decisions we make. So Mm, as we keep living life, and of course, you and I went through the same thing, very similar thing, not the same thing that we I think are understanding and 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 I noticed that too you do have a strong self-awareness I have a strong self-awareness otherwise yeah, we that's wouldn't why we be connected so that's well. also why that's we why wouldn't we have left so well. I don't think yeah, we yeah. would have left any of those relationships or any of the environments yeah. that weren't helpful for us to grow I think you and I are definitely understanding more we're only two years apart the decisions that we make now ultimately it's going to be myself me or you as Sydney that has to deal with yeah. whatever happens afterwards Mm-hmm. It's not those people yeah. that we care and love about too. It's going to yeah. be our own selves. And, I, yeah, yeah, and I think it. I think I completely agree with you. I think that was really powerful, and just this idea of like self validation, making decisions, and then being confident in them. You know, and like knowing that we are on our own paths, but not to ignore the fact that there have been so many amazing people in our lives that have helped us get here. But now it's sort of like we're at a point where we are we're going into the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I definitely feel that based on the experience, the shared experience of moving out of the family home that you also went through, you know, Mm -hmm. even though the circumstances surrounding that were different because we're different people and we have different lives and experiences. But yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's definitely true. I I agree with what, with what your, your friend said. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think it's crazy too. I wouldn't have been back at the family home if it weren't for this whole quarantine and everything that went on. That's the other funny part. Yeah, this has also been a strange time also, too, because of, like, the racism towards Asians because of COVID. that, and then the racism, obviously, towards 
black people that yeah then has not then gone they get away the black lives matter movement and the horrible horrible killing of so many um black americans that mm-hmm. did not deserve to be killed all of that is just and, and like what's the role of the asian like what's the role of the the asian american in that you know like how mm-hmm. are we gonna advocate for that community what what are we gonna do you know what i mean like it brings up a whole host of issues that i think for the longest time people neglected to talk about and because these issues are uncomfortable talking about yes. in a lot of ways like i feel like race money power things like that are i've always been like really difficult things to talk about in groups mm-hmm. of people because it's like they're sensitive topics they are oh yeah I don't it's tough it, much, it's but... it's a heavy burden it's it a heavy you know it, it weighs heavy on my heart i feel like it's it's difficult it's mm-hmm. you know and i don't even and i, and I don't want to say you know because like i don't want to say that i know what it feels like because i am not part of the black community but what i do understand is feeling like a second class citizen and feeling alienated and isolated from people who are white essentially and it doesn't help who our leadership is right now so there's that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm very vocal yeah yeah i completely agree yeah it's it's not it's not a that is not a helping force whatsoever not at all trust me yeah I didn't realize we had that parallel, too, that you have your best friend who you consider, like, a sister, who you've known much longer. Katie, who I have in the intro of the podcast, and also she's been writing a memoir and she's continuing to write, so it's sort of been, we communicate every day. Speaking with her, she's kind of become a sister, too. We were adopted from the same orphanage. Oh, that's so cool. So, and we found that out only three years ago. Okay, A little bit later in life, but we have sort of found a sisterhood between us too same thing we've actually learned more about our own adoption and then when I started this podcast I really wanted her to be involved and she she will be at times I want to respect her memoir she writes it which she will eventually finish I'm sure but her thesis is done so that was oh nice okay that's awesome yeah no I, I think one of the greatest feelings for me to be able to have to be able to have a best friend or like a, like have a sisterhood with someone who knows exactly what it's yeah. like to go through what I've been through. Because I do think the Chinese adoptee community is big, but they're, you're not necessarily going to connect with every single Chinese adoptee no. either. You're no, gonna, definitely with some not. People. And I guess that goes outside of Chinese adoptees, humans in general. That's the truth is. Yeah. Not that we're dismissing humans in general, but I've been contemplating too is... With everything going on, especially with, like, Black Lives Matter, which is definitely very important, I don't want to invalidate that cause or ongoing cause, too, an ongoing prejudice with being Asian American. I don't want to, like, bring this to the forefront just because of that. No, I mean, I think that that the the space could be, the space can be held for both things, you know? I definitely think the space that can be held, and even more so that as an Asian American, we have the responsibility to make sure that space can be shared and, and pass over the space to a specific community when they need that. And I feel like the black community definitely needs that right now. And I'm really happy that like they're getting that chance Mm -hmm. in a way that I feel like they haven't in the past, or at least within like my lifetime. Right. Like, you know, I mean, it's terrifying because it's probably going to continue, which is the really sad part about it. And it's not just in the U.S. It's everywhere. And I don't think that's news, but it's true, too. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I think it's it's a really difficult period of time right now. I think there's we're going through a lot of changes, a lot of transitions. 
that are happening on micro, meso, and macro levels. For at least for myself, and for and I think for oh, you yeah. too, based on what oh, you shared definitely. with me, you know. So. so shifting back to, have you been back to China where you were adopted from? Do you have interest in going back? I have not, but I think within the next couple of years, I would like to take a trip with my family and my sister to visit my orphanage、um, in Tongling and my sister's orphanage in Guangdong. I don't feel that like well financially, I'm not <laughs> ready for that right now either,、uh, specifically. But also in terms of like where I'm at mentally and emotionally, I don't think I'm ready to do something like that quite yet. I think I need to take a couple of more years to. To to grow into myself a little bit more before I'll feel emotionally prepared, I guess, to make that jump,、mm-hmm. you know, and to and to do that. But I I do want to go back eventually. I mean, I went back to China when I adopted my sister when I was three, but I didn't really remember that much. Like I only have memories from pictures and stuff that、right. sort of like spark memories in my head, but it's not the same thing, you know.、Mm-hmm. I feel like if I went back now in my twenties, it'd definitely be so different than like when I was、oh, three.、Yeah. You know,、yes. I'll actually be able to like remember, like keep things. I definitely want to go back eventually when I'm in a better place. I'm just not ready for it. You know, it's、oh, like because、yeah. uh, the thing is, for the longest time, I thought about that, and I was like, well, if I go to China and I get answers, like how, like, and I have all these questions that I need answers to, and I don't get the answers to the questions I have, is that going to make me feel even worse? Is that going to make me feel more curious? Is it going to like drive my hunger to know more? You know,、mm. it's like so. That's why I want to be in a place where I'm more confident with my identity and comfortable with where I am. So that if I go to China, I don't have any like unrealistic, I guess, expectations for what my trip there would be like. I had gone back to China, and I sort of went with the mentality of not having any expectations, which I think helped immensely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but there are still aspects of that trip that I think about from time to time. Not as much that I contemplate if this could have gone differently. But at the same time, I'm glad I went back. It's tough because I think even if you do have an expectation, it probably won't be met, which is kind of depressing to say. But it's true. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It probably won't be met just because of what we were talking about, the context of Chinese adoptions and how like a lot of. Records and things were not properly. Oh yeah. Recorded and like the information is just yeah. I don't know if you've seen this film called One Child Nation. I did. It's on Amazon and like after watching that, I watched it with my best friend who I said was adopted from China as well. We watched it and it was just like mind blowing to both of us. Yes. Like just the way things went down is like、mm-hmm. you know. So that's what makes me also nervous. It's like okay, if this is what happened, like what I am、know. I really gonna? How is it gonna feel when I get when I if I if I decide to go to China?、Yeah. You know, like are these things that I learned in this film just going to like be even more apparent to me and make me more、right. sad? You know, like I don't know. That's interesting. I think because when I went, I didn't have I hadn't watched any documentaries, really thought about my adoption, which I think it helped in a way too because I didn't have any focus on anything particular when I went.、Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, did you go by yourself? Went, I went with my dad. Okay. It was a nice trip. It was a nice trip. So I've shared it before, but my interest in adoption was really only recent. Because some people were saying, like, is it too early to be interested at this age or too late? And it's like I don't think there's really such thing as being too、yeah. early, too late to be interested in your adoption. It's I mean, it's everybody's own pathway there. Well, because it's such a huge part of who we are. So it's、right. like, yeah, like I was interested asking questions about my adoption when I was like five, but it's it's different for everybody. Yeah. 
I was a little bit interested too, but I never got into it. And I realized recently, even with my my own family, that it wasn't exactly a huge conversation either. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. And now, obviously, it is as I do this podcast. Right, of course, but, of course. This yeah. is a good way to really get those experiences it out is. in the open and see how your experiences relate and, you know, compare and contrast to other adoptees, uh, other exactly. Chinese adoptees, which is why I think it's really cool that you're doing this podcast. Yeah. And it's also really cool because I've never been on a podcast before, so <laughs> it's, it's a fun. new experience for me. <laughs> you just listen back to your own voice. It's not bad because editing, it takes some time, but I, I've i gotten used to listening back to my own voice. It's it's okay. Yeah, I like listening it. back to your own voice. I, I like could, it I now. Could, I, get, I, I can it. imagine how, like, that might feel, like, kind of cringy at times, but then, like, as you, like, do it more you're like okay this isn't that bad oh yeah and I've enjoyed going back and listening because I don't remember the whole conversation sometimes but it does make me smile when I'm editing so that to me feels that this is a really good platform to be doing this it's good that I'm doing this because it makes me happy to hear it even even the not so great stuff but there's great stuff too like connecting with another adoptee (laughs) So. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone has different experiences, but then there's commonalities across all of our experiences. And exactly. I think podcasts and things like this help the general population understand really what our experiences is like, exactly. what our experiences are like as Chinese international adoptees, you know, as adoptees in general. So like, I think it's a really positive, I think it's a really positive thing. And, you know, not everybody is an open book. Mm-hmm. I find that I'm really open about things. And if, for example, if you were to ask me questions, any types of questions, I, I don't, I don't feel that I would be uncomfortable by anything. I think I'm pretty open. But it's it's just interesting. Yeah, how like, you know, some people are not as open about their adoption, adoptee journeys. And I hope like through these podcasts, and like through sharing what I've shared and through you sharing what you've shared together can maybe give other adoptees who are more shy or hesitant to explore their identities the push maybe to try and do so you know Mm -hmm. try to dissect their identities a little bit as adoptees and it's not it's not for everyone everyone's different obviously but I I hope that it it inspires I I hope that it inspires people Mm -hmm. yeah I think I just want to bring this up because it's kind of random, but I thought also no, going, go back, going back to China, I thought I would become this like new person, really find myself. And to an extent, I did. But mm-hmm. then I actually did. And I thought, you know, I feel more comfortable with who I am. And I started dating somebody. And that relationship was actually not very good, too. So mm-hmm. then I had to rethink about that or recalculate that a little bit. And it's actually now where I truly feel, and it's been two years since I went, yes, I'm trying to think of my timeline, two or three years, and if anybody's keeping track, but it's now been two or three years since I went back to China, 2020 is really messing with my head, because it hasn't really been around, so it's like, does this year exist? The year of 2020 has kind of been, like, like, is this really happening yet? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a weird year, to say the least so i i get that like if your timeline is kind of off like it makes sense what is happening it's truly now that i feel i really am starting to understand more about myself and becoming my own now Mm. and it's been it's been some time essentially since i went to china and i thought i'd be this new person and then full circle though that person i was in a relationship with contacted me out of the blue out of nowhere and was like hey i wrote this letter to you can I mail it to you? And I was like, oh, okay. It's been some time since, at least been in the, I think it's been a year, at least more than a year since we did. Mm, wow. 
curiosity. We're all human. <laughs> I'm going to get that letter. I'm going to read it. I'll have to keep you updated, but it was weird. Yeah, keep me like, updated. Oh my gosh. I'm having it sent to my my friend who's like a sister in New York. I'm having it sent to there because technically right now I don't have a permanent address. So there's that too. We'll but figure it out though. I will we'll, figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. I mean, we have each other, you know, like oh, yeah. you'll figure it out. Like you have a good support system. But yeah, like that's that, that'll be interesting to read that letter. It will but be yeah, like, I don't know. I think that, you know, you're still there's no like set time or like set set order of how to process going back to your birth country i don't think that that's Mm -hmm. like you know so you might find that like in two years from now you have like this epiphany about like one particular moment that you had when you went to china and then you might realize like oh wow like this impacted me so much in this way Mm -hmm. but it may not happen now you know like you know i I think people process things at different paces depending on their life circumstances this is true this is very you true. Know? I always say that, so. too. Whatever we say now doesn't... It's recorded, but it doesn't mean it has to stay that way, either. Which, we're ever-evolving we're people. O- yes. That you know, true. we're always changing. So, I feel that. I totally feel that. And I will be here waiting to see that letter, too. The results of the letter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring but it yeah. up to... When I come up to New York, because I still plan to. I yes, should yes, be coming yes, back to. Oh, my God, work. you definitely have to. Definitely have to come by. You um, know you're always welcome here, so... Is there anything you would want to hear from other adoptees or people where adoption is a huge part of their life? I guess my biggest question would be how do adoptees sort of reconcile and deal with the feeling of being feeling alone? Because I feel like I've had difficulties dealing with that. For me, that's a huge thing, something that I struggle with more than most. And so I guess, like, I wonder, like, how do other adoptees deal with that? How do other Mm -hmm. adoptees deal with feeling physically isolated and emotionally isolated at the same time because that's still something that i'm trying to figure out you know and i talk to my best friend a lot about that we both have our different ways of dealing with it but it seems to be a reoccurring thing that's sort of always in the background and like lingering you know so that's one question that's the biggest question that i would have um i'm more interested in that as opposed to how people reconcile their culture i guess because mm-hmm. i feel like culture right now i'm not super interested in in asian culture at the moment but i i as i said before like i want to get into it my, my my bigger my bigger interest has to do more with the adoptee side of things and and how people the people deal with that 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 aspect of being adopted and feeling super alone or like maybe some people i don't want to assume that everybody feels alone, right. but people who yeah, do yeah. adoptees who do feel alone like how do you deal with that you know what are the things you tell yourself what are the things you like to do how do you sort through those feelings you know Mm -hmm. so that's i think that would be my my question or like that i would like to hear other adoptees speak about maybe in future podcast episodes yeah i'll have to keep that one in mind because i just agreed with you that yes we all feel alone but you're right we can't assume that i just know you and i have definitely felt that obviously oh for sure for sure i think you and i have very similar energies so i yeah so we've definitely felt that that's a good one. That's a good question. Well, it was really good talking with you. It was. Yes, I hope friend, you enjoyed it. It is. It is I hope very you nice. This. It's so. It's so interesting because like we have close conversations just as friends, but then like this is like a podcast, so it was interesting. I liked it a lot, though. It'll I did. Be it was cool. It'll be it shared, cool. and it's just for other people to hear. I mean, that's why I started this too. Is other people can I think it's an awesome idea. I think it's a really brave idea, and I really hope that you can get like a bunch of different types of personalities on here, so mm-hmm. people can see what what's what's good within the adoption community. You know, Definitely. so 
That's awesome. Kudos to you for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I say goodbye for now. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to ABC. We are on major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Email adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or direct message adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram and or Facebook if you would like to share your story. Bye now.